This episode is brought to you by Gen Next Wealth, a fee-only financial planning and investment firm that specializes in working with minority families, helping them bring clarity, harmony, and focus to their finances. This month, Minority Money Podcast and Gen Next Wealth are partnering up to help two families with a free estate plan. That's right, completely free. You can enter one of two ways to get your free estate plan. First, by going to Minority Money Podcast slash giveaway. That's Minority Money Podcast slash giveaway. Or by sharing the Minority Money page on any of your social media platforms. And be sure to tag us. You will have until May 31st to enter into the contest. The winners will be announced the second week of June. Now, let's get back to the show. Hey there. I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly founder and president of Gen Next Wealth, a fee-only financial planning and investment firm. So welcome back to the show and couldn't wait to get back to you. And I am excited about this episode. We have a guest with us today that has the same passion that I have, is trying to make some changes in the financial services industry. You guys are in for a treat. And yeah, 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 I say it every time, but you guys are really in for a treat today. Before we get started, I wanted to go ahead and tell everybody thanks again for the reviews on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, if you will. Thanks for the follows on Spotify. Just so you know, we appreciate you. I've seen a large listenership in France. Want to give those people in France a shout out. Thank you for that. I've seen some stuff in the UK. So thank you guys for that as well. And listeners all over the country, as we continue to deal with this COVID-19 thing, continue to stay strong, stay safe. And we have been praying for, you know, everyone and hoping that their families are safe. So I just wanted to say that before we get into the episode today that, you know, we thank you for your support and we see you all around the world. And it's really a humbling experience to be able to say that we have listeners in like, you know, at least 40 different countries. And it's sometimes I can't thank you all enough because it's all of you that listen and share with your friends that have created this. So thank you very, very much. With that, we are joined today by Dana Wilson. And Dana and I met on social media. I'm almost positive that's how we met. I think it was either there or someone introduced us via email or something. I remember email, so it could have been that. But Dana is going to give you a little bit of her background and what she's doing and how she's changing how individuals prosper. Ah, (laughs) I like that lead in. (laughs) Yeah. So go ahead, Dana, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks for having me. This is great. I mean, I love what you're doing. And like you said, we both have such a passion for this topic, for our own mission and values, and really how we want to see the financial industry change inside and outside. So again, thanks for having me on here. So to everyone, my name is Dana Wilson. I'm the CEO and founder of CHIP, which stands for Changing How Individuals Prosper. And yes, it is like potato chip, because everyone does ask. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so what we are, we're a digital platform connecting individual consumers to financial professionals of color. And it was just something that was extremely important to me after being in the financial industry for over a decade now, which almost seems kind of crazy. 
to say it's like how <laughs> time is just flying by. But I started in the banking industry roughly in about 2006. I was in banking for about maybe a year or two, migrated over to the private wealth, other wealth management spaces before spending the past almost six years now as an independent investment advisor. And really just throughout that journey, just kind of realizing the lack of representation of financial professionals of color and just, you know, people of color. And you see that and you just kind of get to a point where you get numb to it, which was even sad. So it was like, as soon as I jumped out of the banking world, and went into wealth management, there was just no one that looked like me. Either there was maybe one person in certain situations, or it was just myself, the only woman, and then again, a woman of color. So it's like you're constantly trying to find, you know, your tribe, your sense of belonging, that support and encouragement that you need. And along a lot of those paths, it was definitely hard to find those people. But you do kind of pick up people along the way in different support systems. So that was also great for me to have too. Like, it's funny because I read your bio, so I didn't know you started in banking. <laughs> I had a banking background, too. I yeah. was uh, in banking for about 11 mm-hmm. years. They trapped me there for a long time. Oh, they trapped you? Oh, yeah. See, I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, so I stayed there, and I was a teller, and then I was new accounts, then I was a branch manager mm-hmm. for the longest period of time, and then I was like, I want to get into private wealth, and that was like 2007, and they were like, well, yeah, <laughs> not a good time. <laughs> So I went into the management route. I did that for five years and then started to get into the investments after I left the bank to work for Edward Jones. So a lot of the same things that you were going through, you know, being the only person of color, especially as you go into the upper man, the further you go up in Mm -hmm. the management, the less color you see. Yeah, absolutely. I was really young. I was 26 and I was the branch manager. So I was like the real anomaly. Like not only was I young, I was black and it was crazy. It was an experience. And I think that like you were saying, like you get numb to, you don't realize it Mm -hmm. and you kind of get numb to it. Like, you know, I'm the only black person here. And it's like, you kind of almost accept it. Like this is just the way it is. You just accept that it's the norm. And it's so sad to even, like when I say that and I tell people that and you just get used to it being that way, it's almost just heart wrenching to think how you just get accustomed to just not seeing yourself anywhere in those arenas. And just like you, when I was in banking, I was in my early twenties. And at one point, you know, it was kind of that push to decide if I wanted to be a branch manager, but I knew my heart was kind of pushing me to learn more about investment management. And interestingly enough, when I did start in the bank, I had a black branch manager and there was actually another gentleman person, you know, black male who worked with me. So it was three of us in the bank. So that definitely made me feel good. I grew up in a very diverse neighborhood. I grew up in Montclair, New Jersey. So I grew up around everyone. So I was just used to always being in culture. But then when I went to my HBCU, shout out to North Carolina Central University, Mm -hmm. a little bit of ego pride there. Mm -hmm. You know, then it was kind of you get into a situation where you just have that pride and sense of self that comes with going to an HBCU. And then once I, you know, got into banking, also kind of saw someone that looked like me, especially in a management role, that was great. But the minute I left banking and went into private wealth, it was just a completely different world. I mean, it was night and day. And then you almost wonder, well, how am I going to not just survive here, but also really thrive and find upward mobility? It's kind of like you have to be lucky enough that someone likes you or wants you to be on their team because there's all those sorts of politics and things that you have to work through sometimes just in the corporate environment. And then in finance, you're trying to do that. You're trying to meet your goals that the company set and you're trying to prospect and you kind of get lumped into that same tool of how everyone else builds their business is supposed to be the same way. And that's, you know, often not the case, which I'm sure you know as well. 
Absolutely. And like, I think we're talking about it from just a person of color point of view. I think mm-hmm. sometimes people think, you know, it's just, oh, you guys are just complaining or you're just, what do you mean? Like black people or minorities just don't have any money. And I'm like, well, that's just not true. Right. That's just not it's, true. It's not true. I think that when we get into the position where we can actually go back and start to help our own, because in the financial services industry, they make it seem as if the only way to get ahead is to talk to people that have money and talk to people mm-hmm. that the most of the people that we know that have money are going to be not people of color. Now, right. this doesn't mean that the people of color don't have money. It's just that even if they do, they may not know what to do with it. And so there's a little embarrassment, especially coming to a person of color to say mm-hmm. that I don't know what I'm doing. And then there's the mistrust that we have because they're like, you're not white. So how would you know mm-hmm. what to do? Because, you know, you didn't oh, come yeah. for money. So that's another. I feel like we're going to have to go through a whole history lesson here. <laughs> it's crazy to think that not only do we have to, you know, fight the good fight inside of the industry, but then we have to go back and fight the good fight with them in our own, you know, communities to try to make sure that they understand that, yes, we are qualified to talk about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And we do understand what we're doing. And we're not trying to get over on you. We're really trying to help you. And I think that's a tough thing to try. It's an uphill battle. You're fighting on both fronts. And this, with something like CHIP, where we can have a group of professionals of color, is going to help change Mm -hmm. the complexion of wealth. Because now we have people that look like us that we can go and find on this site, which I want you to explain a little more about what CHIP is. But I think that I was excited. As soon as you reached out to me, I was like, oh, this is it. (laughs) We needed this. People, you know, families need this. Individuals Mm -hmm. need this. People of color needed it in general. So tell us a little more about CHIP. What is CHIP? Yeah, sure. And even to that point, I mean, I feel like I needed to see it too. It was just something that was pulling me in this direction of, hey, you know, how do I solve this problem? How do I fix this? How do I make visibility and access easy? Because to your point, as a consumer, when you're walking into a branch, even if you have quite a bit of money, you know, no one's rushing off their seat to come acknowledge you. Hmm. You know, there's still a lot of those stereotypes going on where, okay, well, that person doesn't really fit or look like my client or look like a private wealth client. And that person might have a couple hundred or a couple thousand sitting in the bank. It might be a six or seven figure individual, but because of, you know, what we look like, we're still stereotyped in that way, even coming into 2020. So when I think about it, and I'll answer your question in a second, yeah, no. like imagining a world where someone walked into the bank and you know was quickly acknowledged, wasn't turned away because of any of that, and was able to open that investment account. I mean, there's been countless experiences where people haven't had anyone even ask them, you know, how can I help you? Have you ever heard about this product? Has anyone talked to you about this? And for us in our culture, that's a big difference between someone maybe opening up a basic checking account and then someone starting an investment account. But it's like if you're never asked that question or no one's ever pushing you in that direction, you know, that's a lot of the reason on top of a a lot of other reasons why we end up in the situation where we're in when people are talking about the racial wealth gap. And the divide, you know, if you have a bad experience and you run away and never want to deal with that again, well, that's one less person who's investing or that's one less person who's saving. And that's the biggest issue. And even from a high net worth perspective, if you walk into a room and there's, you know, no one in the room that looks like you and you are a high net worth individual, then you're going to have to work with who you see. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hopefully there is a person of color in that room, but, you know, on a lot of occasions, there's not. Uh, and two, and really about ship, it's really about bridging that gap. So when someone comes to our site and they're able to easily access 
process a financial professional of color, be able to step that first appointment and kind of walk through a real experience with that individual. I mean, that's super impactful and important. And I think that as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about like people coming in and not having the same opportunities as you were saying, because, you know, they just don't have those conversations. And then the fear part, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about this, and I think mm-hmm. that leads right into the next question about why it's so important to have financial professionals of color, is because they can ask me some of the questions that they would be scared to ask someone that mm-hmm. didn't look like me. Like I have, Absolutely. you know, clients calling me and like, hey, Imlin. They call their IRAs a 401k. You're taking care of my 401k, right? And I was like, yeah, you know, and I don't even correct them. Yes, I have a 401. I'm taking care of it. And they're like, well, with the new CARES Act, they said I could take some money out of my 401k. And now, you know, well, you understand this is not a 401k. This is an IRA. Mm -hmm. And I don't make them feel silly. I said, this is just where I called it the 401k because that's how you identified it. But the real name of it is an IRA. So the rules that you're talking about don't apply. They're like, okay, thanks. You know what? I didn't know, but I wanted to check with you before. And they have that mm-hmm. kind of dialogue happens often. I'm getting a lot yeah. of emails. And that's calls. so important. That's my experience with working with clients of color. But why do you think it's so important for us to have financial professionals of color? It's really just what you said. I mean, if we think about how we run our own practices, mm-hmm. you know, just taking the time to answer those questions. And even if people aren't even a client that call you or you run into them in some way or at an event or whatever the conversation ends up being. We take the time to do that. And I'm not saying that, you know, no one else does it, but it's a high likelihood that they probably haven't experienced it in that way. But from, you know, maybe people that look like them who are willing to say, hey, you know, I know that maybe before someone hadn't taken the time to do that, or they might even tell you that I've had clients tell me that where they've walked in and they've just had horrible experiences and literally just kind of wanted nothing to do with the industry. But then they take that second chance. And luckily, they met someone who possibly looks like them who are willing to take that chance and walk them through situations that are going to make them say, hey, you know, I know I can do this. I don't have to be shy about asking that those questions. It's something that's extremely comfortable. And I just feel safe in this setting as opposed to going somewhere else and maybe working with someone who doesn't look like you and you just feel intimidated. We feel like we have to walk into that meeting super educated about everything. And if someone is asking us questions, there's a high likelihood that we're not going to challenge that or ask, what is this? Or can you explain this more? Because we don't want that person on the other end to think that we're less educated. And that's a real thing. And it happens day by day. And I've had people share that with me. I've watched it happen. And it just, you know, was getting to a point where you just, you don't want to see that anymore. You know, we exist because we're just as educated, experienced, and sometimes even more educated experienced as our counterparts. And it really should just be a normal thing that people really recognize, especially people of color in the communities that we want to serve. I'm going to tell you, I couldn't agree with you more. And I may have said this on other shows before, and people may have heard it, but I want to bring this up because I think it's a great point. I was reading this book. I think it was The Alchemist. I'm looking like on my bookshelf. I don't know. I think it might have been an audio book, but anyhow, it was an alchemist book. And so what he says in the book was it resonated with me like so much. It wasn't specific mm-hmm. to our industry, but he was talking about a doctor. And he said, if you have a, two doctors, right? One of the doctors is, you know, he's a taller man. He's more attractive, full set of hair, you know, very well-spoken. And you have another doctor that's a little overweight, maybe losing his hair, maybe not as attractive as the other one, not as well-spoken, but just as much time in the industry. And it may even be better than the other doctor. And this is why I would say that. And we can apply this to anything. If you Mm -hmm. look the part, people are going to trust you. Things are going to come to you a little easier. If I was a tall white man, 
mm-hmm. I would have things a little different. And I'm not out here trying to like bash. No, but know, it's just true. Keeping it 100 because that's what we do. I'm going to keep it real. Mm-hmm. And this is how I talk to my clients too. So if this doctor is being given clients or clients are going to him because of the way mm-hmm. he looks, because he looks, and I'm doing this with Air Corps, the part. The other doctor, if he's reached any level of success, he's had to overcome the obstacle of not looking like everyone else, of not being as articulate. And I'm not saying that we're not as articulate, but I'm just saying not being as articulate, not being as well-spoken when he's talking to a client or to a patient. And he's had to overcome that. And if he's been in the industry as a doctor or as whatever professional you be, lawyer, doctor, financial advisor, whatever it is, if you've made it and you don't look the part, you've had to study to show yourself approved. You've had to mm-hmm. have something where people will say, you know, you have to know what you're talking about or else you wouldn't be able to make it in this industry, in our specific industry. So what that tells me is that if you're working with an advisor of color, especially those, you know, the advisors that have been doing this for 20, 30 years and they're advisors of color, they've had to overcome some type of massive adversity. Some disproportionate, like not being able to be in alone in most of the environments. Yeah, that absolutely. They're in, and they've survived. That person probably deserves to have your business, even though they don't look the part. And that's what I feel like when we have these groups of financial professionals of color, like we've had mm-hmm. to prove ourselves. We've had to go above and beyond to be able to be accepted in those circles. And so with that being said, typically we're going to have a better process. Typically we're going to have a little more caring. Typically, we're going to be dealing with some different stuff. I had someone talk about this the other day on Twitter, Samuel Dean. I don't know if you listen to the show or not, but Samuel Dean, he's talking about the black wealth tax. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, if you make it as a black person, you're responsible to go take care of your family. And I was like, well, you're absolutely right. But I said, that's a minority tax. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If you're the first generation to, you know, (laughs) graduate degree, if you're the first one to get a good job, it's your duty. Mm -hmm. You already knew what that was. You <laughs> I'm know, to go a back and, extent, that's why they sent you there. Right. And so if you're right. dealing with someone that as a financial advisor that doesn't understand that when you're sending mm-hmm. your mom or you're sending your parents or you're sending someone in another country, you know, family and out of the country, $500 a month, they don't understand that, you know, I got to say that's part of my budget. Right. That and it's like it. they're almost having that conversation with you as to, hey, maybe you should stop doing that. Yeah. And that's that barrier there where you just don't get it. Mm-hmm. where you're used to having someone maybe take on things or pay for things for you or whatever the case is. But this is something that I have to need to. In most cases, people want to be able to do that and help their family in that way. And that's kind of a non-negotiable in the budget or even, you know, generational wealth investment. You know, that's what I'm doing to help my family, whether they're here or somewhere else. And that just kind of goes back to that commonality that I feel like we just share as just people of color, you know, not even just people who are in different industries, but just us as people of color, those understandings that we have just kind of within our culture where we can have those different conversations. And there's so many layers to our culture, just people who, you know, were either raised here in the United States, you know, came here from other countries. And even within that, that kind of brings its own certain dialect of understanding if you've Mm -hmm. grown up in different countries, but now have graded to the United States. And you're in this industry and kind of can help not only people here who, you know, are people of color, but are from exactly where you're from, and then bringing that back home to the country where your family still resides, it just kind of becomes this whole working funnel of the things that we can do 
when we're really intentional about how we work together and how we help each other and kind of get rid of this whole competitive nature that people have kind of pinned us to for so long. And I feel like we're finally starting to break out of that and really understanding the importance of collaboration and why that makes so much sense. Absolutely. And you did mention generational wealth. So so give me your thoughts on generational wealth. Yeah, generational wealth is just important. And, you know, we're going through COVID right now, so it's hard to not even bring it up. And we're looking at the numbers. We're looking at the amount of people who are passing away, businesses that are closing. And it's like pre-COVID, we were already in this racial wealth divide. And when it came to generational wealth, we were all kind of just getting in to investing. Maybe some of us were just getting our feet wet. A lot of us were opening up businesses. Women of color were opening up businesses. And now it's like that COVID happened. We're kind of thinking about all of these things that, wow, we were just starting to tip that curve or that scale. And now this is not only impacting us the most from a health perspective, but also from a business perspective too. And it's really about figuring out ways and how we still have these generational wealth conversations. And a lot of it right now, even if you're kind of going through the hardest part of it, it is having those tough conversations. It's really making sure that you're talking to your kids about what's going on with your finances. Even if you've never done it before, you're talking to your family to make sure that you have a will in place and you have all these healthcare directives. So we have to make sure that we're teaching our next generation and we're not waiting, you know, until something happens to have these conversations because we have to make sure we are better on the other side of this. It's hard to kind of think through that and say that while we're in the midst of it, but, you know, hunkering down and really having those hard conversations is really going to help us and staying educated yourself and then finding those professionals who are able to help you have those conversations if you're not sure how to do it or where to start. And even if you're getting a second opinion on your portfolio, I mean, it's important to take that time to kind of do that now and see where you are. So you are making sure you're leaving that for your family. Absolutely. And I think that the fundamentals of building generational wealth or building wealth period don't change, Mm -hmm. right? So fundamentals are always going to be there. But I think, you know, being able to have those difficult conversations, we did have a estate planning episode that I just ran last week. And Yeah. So people talking about estate plans, like what is an estate plan? Do you have to be rich to have an estate plan? Absolutely not. We get into those details. And I think not only for our clients, but even for the professionals that are giving the advice, Mm -hmm. you need to be taking the home cooking. And if you are (laughs) a financial professional and you're telling your people to get a trust and you don't have a trust yourself, shame on you. If Mm -hmm. you're telling people they need to have an advanced healthcare directive, you need to be taking your own advice. That's the first thing. And I say that with love in my heart because for the longest time, I would tell people to get a trust. I mean, I think for the last four years of being in my firm, I was talking about trust a lot. I didn't have one myself, but we have one now. Mm -hmm. It's being drafted now. Always our own worst enemies, (laughs) especially any industry you're in. It's like people first and that's when you care, care, care enough that you don't care about yourself and your family but you're always leading with what you want to help other people do. And you kind of end up putting yourself in the back corner. So I absolutely agree with that. And really just shining a light on this industry. I mean, I think more of us need to be in this industry and there needs to be more programs at HBCUs and other colleges and universities where people can start to understand this process better. And I know there's a lot more financial education going on in the school systems, Mm -hmm. but this is something that definitely needs to be implemented at the college level as well. So you walk in and you know, you're know you able to get that knowledge right away. I mean, I think it's a saving grace that I went right into banking, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, but not everyone has that experience. They're in to some other you know industry and then have to figure it out later. So 
banking did give a good base and a good like entry mm-hmm. way into seeing what wealth looked like. Oh, wow, wow, they got, yeah, absolutely. I live in a farm community here in the Central Valley in California. I remember making fun of the farm kids like, well, you guys always, you know, always wearing those <laughs> Wranglers, this and that, you know, wearing your cowboy boots mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And then saving money, driving Volvos. Yeah. And then I go work at the bank and then I see family farm account. I was like, oh my God, we need a family farm. <laughs> so that it was like, wow, I had no idea, you know? Yeah. It's all those assumptions you make. I mean, even, you know, coming in and you think, okay, well, people who make six and seven figures know everything about their money, but it's not the case. You know, and you find that out really quickly when people start asking you questions and you're just looking at them like, how don't you know that? But it's something that we have to continue to educate people on. Yeah. And I think that, you know, like exactly what you said, just having those conversations. What's the importance of the community and collaborating with them? We'll talk about that a little bit. Oh, yeah. Community and collaboration is extremely important, especially for people of color, because we need to get more intentional about working together. It's like you think about the amount of revenue or the amount of money that we give to a lot of other companies and a lot of other people. But it's like, how often are we really cycling that money through our own community? It just kind of goes in and it goes right back out to people that don't look like us. So it's like you imagine this amazing network and especially the one that we're looking to create within CHIP where we have and we know exactly where we all are as financial professionals and not just financial advisors and other designations, but also tax accountant, estate attorneys, insurance professionals. And now we're able to cycle business back and forth between each other. I mean, that send waves of generational wealth. That's us setting up the next generation to be successful professionals. And then by turn, that also helps our community. So other people of color are able to also join in and that because those are a lot of the communities that we're serving within a lot of our businesses. And yeah, we have clients that, you know, look across the color of the rainbow, so to speak. But at the end of the day, we definitely have a certain focus on how we want to help, you know, people that look like us and making sure that we're bringing them up with us. And even if you're in a situation where you do have or you've amassed amounts of wealth, you know, it's important to kind of figure out where you can also be intentional about how you spend your money, who you're working with and that sort of thing so that we're able to build our communities up and really close this wealth divide. And community and collaboration is the way to go. Love it. Check all those boxes. What would you say is next? Like what's next for you, for Chip? What's next? So, you know, Chip has launched live. Now everyone has access to the internet. You can definitely go to chipprofessionals.com. If you're looking for a financial professional, you can click the button that says, I need a Chip Pro. If you want to apply to be a Chip professional, click the button that says, apply, a professional's apply here. And, you know, we're continuing to build out our network of professionals. So if you're a registered financial advisor, certified financial planner, have other financial designations, insurance, tax, estate planning, all the stuff I mentioned before, please go on and apply to be on the network. It's super important that you're visible and people have the ease of access to get to you as consumers and also really building that professional network for yourself. I mean, you know, the centers of influence is real that we need to build quickly and especially what we're going through with COVID. This is really the time to keep those networks together. And then really looking to focus more on consumers and making sure that everyone knows where we are, where, you know, they can find us and continue to grow our tech platform from there. So there's a lot of exciting things we're working on, kind of our live YouTube platforms that we'll be launching in the next couple months. So there's a lot of good stuff going on. So definitely check it out. Nice. 
And I'm on chip too. So just in case yes. people were wondering, I'm already on there. So if you're looking through there and you find Emlyn Miles Mattingly, I'll be on there. That's so, right. Along with, the other, yes, along with the <laughs> other uh, professionals that are on there. I, I think what you're doing is absolutely amazing. Thank you. And likewise. It was something that we needed. We desperately need. So I wish continued success with this. And as you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. So what motivates and inspires Dana to continue to grow and learn? Yeah, it's the impact. I think all I think about a lot of times when I wake up is just the impact and the dent that Chip will make. And it's really less about myself and just more about the professionals who come on the platform because that gets me excited. It gets me excited every time I look at the platform and I just scroll and I see all these people of color and you see people who look like you. It's kind of like that overwhelming feeling of just comfort and safety and just this confidence that I feel like we have when we're all together and we're sharing in something. So that's really what gets me up in the morning. What really continues to motivate me is the greater impact that we'll all have sitting in the same seat right along with each other. And we're helping so many more people on just a larger scale. And all I see is just this large shift in wealth. And that is really just what kind of keeps me going. And the, the thing I think about, even on days where it's tough to be in the industry, it's tough to be an entrepreneur, but staying focused on that is really all I think about. So it's really the impact. Nice. Do you think that education plays a big part in wealth building? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think the more that we're educated, the better we'll all be. I was saying to someone yesterday, and I'm sure this is a safe place to say this, you know, going back through history when they used to say that scariest thing would be an educated Negro. And that's a real thing. You know, people might not necessarily feel like, might scare some people to see us in this space where we're being champions for each other. We're being very impactful. We're just extremely educated. And now we're kind of looping circles with our own wealth and being really intentional about that. So education plays a big role. <laughs> You're saying that like, and I thought definitely about there's this thing called Dangerous Negro. It's a website and uh, being part of the Talented 10th, there was the, I can't remember who the first person that the country had labeled as a Dangerous Negro, but it was because of their education. It was because they're yeah. educated. They deemed them a Dangerous Negro. It's just crazy to even think about that, like dangerous because you're educated. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> I think it goes on a little bit and I'll just touch on that real quick. Just it was about W.E.B. Du Bois and uh, Booker T and the two different schools of thoughts that they had. W.E.B. Du Bois was big on education. Some people don't know. And then Booker T was big on learning to trade or skill. And that was the biggest thing. And when you decided to educate yourself, that's where it was a real issue. You can only hold down a generation by not having a knowledge and understanding for so long. But after you begin to educate yourself, this is why there was years, 400 years of not teaching the slaves how to read, because if we can control mm -hmm. by how much education you have, and this is why we have the HBCUs, shout out to all those, because they thought they understood how important it was to make sure that the Negro at the time when that's what we were called was educated. And so the education plays such a big role. And I think sometimes the listeners might just hear me say that stuff. When I say education, I'm not only just talking about school, I'm talking about just education in general, life yeah. education in so many different facets and where you can educate yourself. And especially as people of color, it is so important for us to stay educated. You know, reading, I mean, finding a book, just gravitating towards something. I mean, you know, when you and I started, 
industry almost years ago, it was so different. Mm -hmm. Social media wasn't really a big thing like it was now. I mean, Facebook was still trying to figure out exactly what it was doing. So we were just kind of on there (laughs) figuring it out with them. But now it's such a big tool to use to educate people to take the time to say, here, I'm throwing up a webinar or a podcast to help you learn about something. And there's so many ways to get so much more information and even entering the industry. You know, would it look like 10 years ago? Would it look like 20 and 30 years ago? And just the things that you had to overcome just to get to this space and to stay in the business, including to earlier, took a lot of time and just your continued pressure of what you had to go through to just stay. You know, we're important to be there because we're the ones who are going to be educating that community. It was like the barrier entry to the financial services industry. My first place that I went to go interview at was Morgan Stanley, but I hadn't had my degree at the time. I was still going to school and they would not hire me. When I actually got in, people were like, man, you know, I set the record for most applications that they ever had taken at, at principal. No one ever taken that many applications in 12 months. Like I have the record still to this day. I was like, all I needed was an opportunity. All right, exactly. And I think a lot of people of color are missing out on those opportunities. And I think as the hiring process goes for some of these larger companies, they have to change that. Uh, and I was saying that they need to make it, yeah. you don't have to agree to work there, but I think they need to seriously consider what the requirements are and if those are really, really that good. Out of the people that they hired at the time that I was there, I outperformed everybody. And then I was put into the management program, but they didn't want to take a chance on me before. So it's like, just give people an opportunity and that will change things in this industry. Don't get me started. That's a whole nother podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, So you know, I'm just going to move on because we'll be on here for another hour talking about that. If you had a piece of advice or some parting gifts for the listeners, what would that be? What would you tell them? I would say just never stop learning. I think the one thing, you know, the blessing about being in this industry is that I'm always constantly learning a lot of it because I have to, but then you get to a point where you actually like it. So there's literally always a book in front of my face when I'm going to the hair salon, back pre, all this stuff. I always had a book, (laughs) always had a book with me. So I was just constantly doing something. A lot of it was because in the early days, I was always studying for some exam or some series, something. And my friends are like, why are you always bringing a book? Why are you always doing something? So it's like, never stop learning, never stop growing, never stop pursuing what you're supposed to be pursuing. I mean, you know, to back up, I got a degree in marketing. I never thought I would end up in finance. Absolutely not. Didn't necessarily, I was good in math, but I never really liked it. So I was doing it because I had to. And then when I graduated, thinking that go into marketing, advertising and do all this stuff, and then just kind of fell into baking by accident and really enjoyed it and stayed and learned. And you never know what you might like. So just always be open-minded, always be opening to learning. Never be scared to ask for help. I think that comes in a lot of our community where we don't want to ask people for help. And I think the better you get about doing that, the more successful you'll be in every aspect of your life. No doubt about it. Love that. Dan, if people want to get more of you, what social medias are you active on? Sure. So I'm active on, we have our Instagram, Chip Professional. So you can definitely please follow us there. We're on Twitter at Chip underscore pros. So Chip underscore P-R-O-S. And we're also on Facebook at Chip Professional. So you can definitely keep up with us there. And please go to the main website, chipprofessionals.com. And you can submit and we can connect you to a great professional like yourself. Yes, do that. I'm encouraging all listeners to go check out Chip and see what's going on. I think you guys will be very, very delighted with what you find. And Dana, thank you for the work that you were doing and trying to make the change or not trying, making 
the changes that you're making in the industry Thank you. and helping individuals and changing how they prosper. I love it. I love it. It fits right in. It's I'm telling right you. The complexion of wealth. Thank you for having me. So yes, it was a pleasure. And I'm sure we'll do some more stuff together in the future. And I look forward to growing our working relationship. To all of our listeners, as you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly. Until next time, stay safe. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here. And until next time, 